Hey everybody, thanks once again for listening to Thinking Biblically About Things That Matter. My name is Steve Ron, the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church in Warsaw, Indiana, and we are continuing our series on gender. Uh, this is part six. Um, we, we saw last week that we, um, that we are created in the image of God. We saw that God's design for male and female was very good. And we also admitted that we have trouble. We have trouble liking it and living in it. Um, and the reason for that is sin. So that's what we're going to talk about today. What does the Bible say um, about sin, especially um, when it has to do with gender dysphoria, gender confusion, transgender behavior, um, those kinds of things. So as we get started, I'm, I want to say a couple of things. Okay, One, um, I want to note that this particular lesson was greatly helped by Andrew Walker's book, God and the Transgender Debate. So that's a, that's a really good book. I encourage you to Pick it up if you if you want to study more about this. Uh, it's really good, really helpful. Um, and this particular lesson um, was was helped by it um, quite a bit. And the other thing I want to mention is that this lesson today is my attempt um, to sort of model, or, or maybe not model, but give us some talking points. All right, for um, for someone who is willing to listen, uh, my my hope is that um, is that in 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 God's drawing people to Himself, that that He will um, just show them that transgenderism can't be the way we're, we go, it, that, and transgenderism can't be the answer can't be the answer. There's got to be something better out there. There's got to be something better. And so so today, the, the way I'm going to kind of do this podcast is, is here are some ways we can talk to people um, who maybe they, maybe they don't yet have a great respect for the Bible, or maybe they're not sure what they think about the Bible, or, or maybe they're not sure what they think about the gospel, but, um, uh, but they're willing to talk about it. They're open to the, they're open to having like a, like a, honest conversation about it. Um, and so it, it's, it's kind of like we, what we do first is we do the, uh, and I'm sure you, maybe you've, you've seen this or heard, or heard it, but you, you do the um, six foot five Chinese woman test. Um, I am a five foot 10, maybe five 11, um, uh, 41 year old white male. Um, and if I, if I if I come up to you and I say I um I want you to from now on treat me as if I'm a six foot five Chinese woman um because that's what I am I you I I that's how I, I identify myself as a six foot five Chinese woman so if if you if you say you know I I just don't I mean that doesn't seem to we can't do that. We can't do that. That's that's fundamentally bad for society if if we just if if we just kind of conform the way we treat people around how they identify themselves, even if it is sort of absurd. 
Um, and so, and so maybe you're having a conversation with someone, and and you, you know, it becomes clear that that they they that they realize that something is just wrong here. That we we can't just treat the five ten white male as if he is a six foot five Chinese woman. We can't do that. Like society can't function that way. There's gotta be, there's gotta be something else. We, we, this, this can't be what we do. And so maybe they're not sold on the Bible or they're not sold on Jesus. They're not sold on any of that. Um, but they, they are sold on the idea that we, there's gotta be something. There's gotta be something. We gotta do something. We can't do this. And so that's where we have these conversations. And, and that's where we start to say, um, I, I, um, I'm greatly shaped by the Bible. I'm greatly convinced um, that, the, that the Bible has the answer here. The Bible properly diagnoses the problem and the Bible is the only source of any kind of solution. And so that's where we start to say, can I talk to you about what the Bible has to say? Can I talk to you about how the Bible talks about these issues? And so that's kind of what we're looking at today. We're trying to model that. We're trying to give some talking points for that. Okay, so with all that being said, here we go. Um, there's several things we have to say about sin, especially as it um, refers to, relates to um, gender, gender dysphoria, gender confusion, transgenderism. Okay, so first part, part one, first thing we say, part one, we are traitors. We are traitors. Um, Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Now the servant, the, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree, tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, um, and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So we understand from the very beginning that this is treason. This is Adam and Eve denying God's authority, doubting his knowledge, disputing his loving goodness. This is, this is the first man and woman deciding that they know best. It's hard to overstate how big of a cosmic shift this is, because autonomy is so natural to us. Assuming that we are right is so natural to us. But this is treason. This is why a simple thing like eating fruit matters so much because it because this is Adam and Eve absolutely choosing a new king. This is this is them this is treachery. This is this is this is them being traitors. This is them this is them betraying their king, turning their back on him. And this has made its way down to us. Romans 3 says that none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. No one does good. There is no fear of God before their eyes. But we, by our nature, we are just like Adam and Eve. We are born choosing, desiring to sit on the throne that only God deserves to sit on. We are born rejecting God's authority. So it's good for us 
whether we struggle with gender dysphoria or same-sex attraction or not, to remember that we are all equally guilty before God. We all deserve equal punishment. So that's part one. We are traitors. Part two, part two, we suffer shame because of our sin. Look what happens when they eat the fruit. The very next verse, Genesis 1 or 3, 7 says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So it is fascinating and very relevant for our discussion that the moment we become sinners is the moment we become ashamed of our bodies. That's the moment we begin to feel awkward about our bodies. The first way Adam and Eve experience living in a world broken by their sin is shame about their nakedness. They, they feel discontent. They feel no longer at home in their own bodies. Now, the shame that they feel is, of course, much more than just awkwardness about their bodies, but it's certainly not less than that. This is an essential component of it. And so I believe you can, you can, you can trace gender dysphoria and, and many of the other disorders that we, that we feel within ourselves all of the different ways that we just are not comfortable, not content, not at home in our own bodies, you can trace them back to this moment in time. And you can also clearly say that, that rejecting God's authority just because you feel discontent, deeply, deeply, authentically discontent in your own body, just because you feel deeply discontent in your own body, so you, so you, so you reject God's authority, that, that's going to do nothing but make you feel more discontent. That's going to cause more dysphoria. That's going to cause more unhappiness. So that's part two. We suffer shame because of our sin. And then part three, we are feeble usurpers. We are feeble usurpers. After Adam and Eve sinned, God said to Adam, um, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of, your, because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So we wanted to be kings and queens, and we still do. Turns out we're really bad at it. Turns out we, we want control, we want, to, we want to be God, we want to be in charge of everything. Turns out we, we're not good at it at all. We don't have the power to do it well. We can't do it. Work is now very difficult for us. It's very frustrating. We are, we are not as efficient and productive and fruitful as we wish we were, not even close. Nature is against us. Storms of all shapes and sizes bring all kinds of chaos. And, and this is because of our sin. And we have no capacity or to, to govern or harness any of this. And, and, and that doesn't even... So, so nature is against us. Work is ridiculously hard. Storms crash around us, making everything very difficult, bringing tragedy, um, bringing chaos. 
And so, th and so that's just kind of nature is against us. But, and that doesn't even bring into account all the messes, all the, all the chaos we create because of our own moral failings. There's global scale chaos and, and tragedy like the Holocaust. And then there's just family scale, individual scale things like, like domestic violence and isolation and, and, and um, the way we mistreat or misunderstand each other. And then to add all to all of that, we're dying. We're dying. We're returning to the dust. So we so so even if we can figure out how to do some good, we have limited time to do it, and we have no idea if it's gonna if it's gonna live on after us, because we're dying. So. So so. We have to agree with each other here. We have to agree with each other. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. Human beings doing their thing for millennia has not made it better. It's made it quite worse. We want to be the kings and queens. We want to be royal, but we've actually just royally messed this up. If we're going to be honest, we have to say, we have messed things up. Things are not the way that they're supposed to be. Whether um, inefficient, unproductive, backbreaking work, human conflict, shame, death, this is not the way it's supposed to be. We have to humbly admit that. We have to humble ourselves before God and accept that, that perhaps He has the blueprint for how things should be. Because look at what has happened when we put ourselves in charge. We are feeble usurpers. We should have never tried to usurp because we're bad at it. We're not actually the kings of queens of anything. We can't even stop ourselves from dying. We are feeble usurpers. And then part four, we have treacherous hearts. So not only can we not really get a handle on what's happening outside of us, we can't get a handle on what's happening inside of us either. We have, we have treacherous hearts. First Peter 2 says that our, the passions of our flesh, our, our deepest desires, our greatest desires, actually wage war against our soul. Because of our sin, the desires of our hearts are actually against what is good for our hearts. And this is incredibly problematic because of the deceitfulness of sin. And because this deceitfulness is not coming from outside of us, but from within us. So it feels so real and so true. But we cannot trust our hearts. And on one level, we know this, right? Prison is full of people who followed their hearts, followed their passions. In that moment, they did the thing that they most wanted to do. They did the thing that their heart was compelling them to do. They were true to themselves. They were true to their deepest desires. And now they're in prison. And, and modern therapy knows this as well. If I was to sit with a therapist, chances are there would be much I would agree with and there would be quite a bit I'd disagree with. But every time a therapist tries to get their patient to reject certain thoughts and think more positively, that therapist, that counselor is working under the assumption that our hearts cannot be trusted. 
Much of what a, a, a counselor, a therapist, a psychologist is trying to do is trying to, to, to help their client sort through what's, what, what's bubbling up from within them and reject that which needs to be rejected and, and then, and, 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 and then um, hold on to that which is true. So if someone tells me they're suffering gender dysphoria, I would never dismiss them or mock them or scoff at them. I truly believe that they are truly experiencing feelings of distress. But I also, we also have to be, we have to be very careful to say that, that the passions that are coming up from our hearts cannot be trusted. The desires to experience life as the other sex or to be known as the other sex or, or to, or to um, ha- have intimacy with people of the same gender, sex, it, it, those desires are not their friend. Those desires are at war with them. It's because we have treacherous hearts. Part five, we shouldn't use the born that way argument. When you think of the curse that's handed down in um, in Genesis 3, 16, 17, 19, when, when you, you realize that from, from Adam and Eve onward, I mean, their offspring are going to be born into sin. They're going to be born with sinful natures, and they're going to be born, um, they're, they're going to be born with, with bodies that are under the curse of sin. They're going to be, they're going to be, born with with bodies that are affected by the fall but bodies that suffer great pain bodies that are not as strong as we would like them to be bodies that are that are slowly returning to the dust simply saying that we were born a certain way is not a compelling argument for anything because there because there are ways that we were born that aren't good and and I think pretty much you know even if we you know even if we 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 um I, th- I think it, just, just any kind of secular non-Christian doctor or counselor will, will agree with us. Some of the predispositions we have are good. Some of them are not. For instance, I can be pretty easygoing. That's generally good. But I can also be apathetic. That's bad. It's wrong. Some of our predispositions and idiosyncrasies and personality quirks are great and almost completely positive. Some are pretty much unhelpful in every circumstance. Some need modification and refinement. Some need to be just squashed. Like a person who notices details can be very helpful, or that can, or that that trait can 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 be that can make being a blessing to other people and being kind to other people that can that can make it an uphill battle if you're a detail-oriented person sometimes that's great sometimes um it makes being just sort of a patient kind person makes it difficult the point is we are born with bodies and brains that don't work the way we want them to. And then they suffer great pain, and then they die. So let's be careful to say, I was born that way, as if that's, a, if that's, a, that's an argument that, you know, it says just simply saying, oh, I was born that way. Uh, simply because we were born that way, 
that doesn't mean that, that whatever it is we were born as needs to be nourished, needs to be cultivated. Maybe it needs to be, maybe it needs to be thwarted. Maybe, maybe it needs to be modified. Maybe it needs to be changed. Maybe it needs, it needs to be redirected or, or completely deconstructed. In the end, we must hold every predisposition, every desire up against Scripture to see if it's valid. Then part six, we must acknowledge that the blueprint is for after the fall as well. Verse 16 of chapter of Genesis 3, he says, To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. I just want to simply point out that, that even after the fall, women are women. They have babies. Women are women. And they have babies. This is God's good design. And even though, even though the, the fall has, has um, made life very difficult, the blueprint is still there. The design is still the same. The plan is still good. Women have babies. Men are fundamentally men. Women are fundamentally women. We've covered this already in previous um, episodes. Um, you, can't, you can't actually change a man into a woman. You can't actually do it. A, 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 a man can't menstruate and he can't have babies. He, he, he can't be a woman. In fact, if I was a woman, I would be, I would be even more um, offended <laughs> that, that a man thought he could truly know what it was to be a woman. He can't. He is a man. Women are women. They have babies. This was true before the fall. It's true after the fall. And in part seven, we must also remember the promise that God gave the serpent. And we'll talk about this next time. But Genesis 3.15, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Merry Christmas. Jesus is coming to take care of this problem. I mean, by this problem, I mean sin and the countless ways sin wreaks havoc on us. We will talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ has life-changing power for anyone caught up in the gender confusion of this world. Until then, thanks for listening.